Our gracious, loving God, you are our all. The provider of all, the creator of all, and you are the one that we want to worship above all others. You are the one that we want to praise. And you are the one that we want to obey. And Lord, we pray thee that this afternoon as we speak of some of those things that we find in common in our worship, that Lord, thy grace, thy love would be with us and grant unto us to see some of those things and how they affect our lives. Even as we speak of this beautiful hymn, though, that thou hast provided for us. So we pray thee, be with us and bless us together as we worship you, as we praise you in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. I started uh, uh, my introduction uh, with the, the fact that Mark, being only three years old, knew the way to grandma's because he got accustomed to it. He learned that every time we went to grandma's, when the, I mean, he used to sleep all the way out on the, on the, on the uh, 401, which is the highway that goes out to Rodney from Windsor. But as soon as we slowed down, it was a signal. It was built into him. We are at grandma's. And he would turn off. As soon as we turn off, he'd expect that. And here we came from Toronto the other way. And instead of making that right turn, we made a left turn. And he was upset. He started crying. He started to behave irrationally because what he expected wasn't there. And for that, he thought we were not going to grandma's, which to him was the most important thing. Well, you know, as we reflect on this hymnal, on, and, and very briefly I will talk about some of the history, not individually as which song, um, which uh, composer, and which lyricist provided, because some of that is probably as, as boring as any historians might think, okay? And I don't want to bore you with history of that type. What I want to talk to you about in this whole process, I want to talk, take this into a number of different areas. A little bit about the history as to what happened, how did, did the original, I guess initially it was less than 235, uh, 253, uh, I believe it was 208 hymns, and then it got expanded to 253 hymns, and then the heft that was added to it. How some of those, uh, who some of the composers, lyricists are, the original hymnal, of course, was in German, and how uh, the different translations started to come and be. Uh, just to give you some idea on some of those things, 
According to a pamphlet that is in the archives in, in Syracuse, of the 253 hymns, 82 of them identified as to lyricists. I'm not talking of all the, the melodies that, that we all got, but, but as lyricists, 82 of them are written by 54 lyricists. That means 54 people wrote those. Of the 54 lyricists, there were six of them that wrote the majority of them. Uh, of the 82 hymns, uh, these uh, six uh, wrote 54. Actually, 54 of the hymns. And apparently, one of our brethren, uh, brothers in faith, that was charged by Brother Freim uh, Samuel Freilich to help with the, the original compilation of hymns to begin as something that we would find in common. Yes, we had the Bible in common, definitely. That's a, that was an important thing. But we also needed something else. Um, and they felt to, to choose hymns that were suitable. What were some of these hymns suitable? Um, they were mostly from the, probably the Anabaptist movement and some of the hymns where we were associated with. These were hymns that these particular people felt important in their life. They saw that they were songs of faith. They saw they were songs and hymns that had real meaning where they described what life of a Christian was all about. Yes, it was time of suffering. So many of the hymns expressed that as part, and I want to emphasize, only part of their message was suffering. And later on, when we, we'll talk about the relevance of some of these hymns, I've chosen four or five of them just out of random. I did not pre-select them for any specific reason. And we'll just look and read through some of those verses. And I don't want to read the first two verses because that's the only ones we sing. There are plenty, plenty of wonderful uh, messages that we're going to receive out of each of those, those verses. And they'll, you'll find those just as relevant today, in today's life, as they were 400 years ago when they were composed. But one of the composers, a uh, brother named G.M. Mangold, he composed 28 out of the, this whole pile that, that we have information on. Uh, five of the 54 um, Lyricists were doctors. Just a bit of information. One of them, one of the hymns that we got, was actually comp uh, written by Martin Luther. Uh, these melodies that were part of these, some came from uh, 
composers of, 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 of great classical works. Others were tunes of the day. Uh, others were things, uh, were tunes that would, by reworking them, putting them into four-part harmony, they became um, something that added added to the words. And, and, and that's where the thing, that's what we've got to understand, is all hymns were primarily and first of all chosen for the words. Secondary for the music. And we'll talk uh, some about the, the actual notes themselves a little bit later at the end of the presentation and we'll see some of the things that, that make an importance of it. But the, the important thing was they were to bring reverent attitude, a reverent idea, a reverent feeling. And if, if, uh, and, and we'll talk about how some of these things come about. Uh, the original uh, hymnal, I understand, was called harmonica. Uh, now, these hymns, when they were pulled together, if you noticed, okay, you know, this, this, this was, uh, I mean, a foresight that I don't know if I would have ever thought about, and I know I don't know that much, but uh, everything was thought of. We're going to use them for services, something to, to help us to begin the services with. Uh, ending services, there were there. Morning, evening songs, greeting and parting hymns, special services for baptisms, communion, wedding, funerals, hymns about Christ, his, his birth, his suffering, death, resurrection, second coming. They were all there. It was a complete work. It took a long time. I'm quite sure of that. But I know that if we look at those hymns, one after the other, we're going to find that there was a very specific purpose that God had in this. <clears throat> As we said, the first uh, hymnal was in German because that's where the church originated from. Uh, As the membership spread through the different areas of the Balkans, one of the primary areas that it hit was Yugoslavia. Uh, Yugoslavia and the part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire at that time was a melting pot of all the languages. So what happened was you had uh, here a, a Slovak um, uh, village, and there was a Serbian village, and there was a Hungarian village, and there was all the different languages. They had their own villages. Within the villages, they had their own schools in their own language, even though they were part of this, co this country called Yugoslavia. And 
As a result of that, the first translation, of course, being Serbian, but there's also, right after Serbian, the next one was Slovak, which I forgot to put on there. Uh, or, no, Croatian, sorry, Croatian. Serbian, Croatian, Hungarian, Slovak, Romanian, English, Spanish, and Ukrainian. Uh, these all, they were translated in order that people could go. Our people could feel at home going from one congregation to other. They could be together in one village and go to the next village and if nothing else, they might have had some difficulty understanding some of those languages. But the hymns were there. They recognized them. It was something that caused a unification process. Yes, we were all together as brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ. No doubt about that. But in order to bring this to a closer, closer feeling, these all were translated. And it didn't matter what language you spoke. You could sing and you could feel at home. That's the nice part about having a hymnal that is the same no matter where you go, no matter what church. I remember personally when we came from, from Hungary, and this was not that long ago, in 1956, we came to Regina. Out in the middle of the plains of Canada, and uh, we didn't know, we knew Brayman, Saskatchewan, which was about 200 mile, uh, miles away, we knew there was a church there, but we didn't know if there was one in Regina. And somehow or another, Brother Joe Barrow, at that time, lived there, and uh, he came to, because we came as refugees, so we didn't know really anybody at all um, in Regina. We came as refugees, and they said that, you know, yeah, they are, they are from our church. Now, I was really, other than during our stay in Austria, I really wasn't part of the church uh, until we, we left Hungary. I, I went to church twice, and I was 14 years old. I spent many, many years singing uh, in, in a voice choir in, in a Catholic church. So singing was not a problem to me, but to mom it was because she wanted to go to our church. And, and, of course, we heard that there was a Nazarene church. But what's this apostolic Christian church? So we went with uh, Brother Joe, and he took us to church. We just had to walk in, sit down, and the hymn started... And we knew. We knew we were in the right place. Yes, we could have tried to talk to them about doctrine. We could have tried to talk to them about where their, their um, 
forefathers came from. But no, all we had to do was sit down and sing. And we knew we were in the right place. We didn't know the language. I didn't know a word of, it, of, of English at that time. But we knew we were in the right place. So, uh, what were these translators all about? Uh, I don't know how many have you, uh, of you have looked into what it takes to translate a hymn. Uh, I don't know if you've ever tried it. But if you have, and, 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 and you have just tried one verse to actually translate from one language to another, you can appreciate the amount of work that was put in by those translators and what it takes to actually translate. Now, take the, the Serbian uh, translation that was done. I understand that at that time there was uh, a number of rich brothers that decided to fund that. But they recognized that they didn't have the capabilities. All they had was the money. So they hired one of the best poets, as I understand. I wasn't there. I'm just hearing this, okay? But the best poet. And he worked through all these hymns, one after the other. And he was so impressed. He was not part of our church. But he was so impressed by what he read and by what he saw in our believers that that procedure changed his life and he became converted. Still not loud enough. I'm, I'm sorry. So, uh, here's the situation. People affected by words. People, people affected by music. Um, we'll talk a little bit about some of the anecdotes, some of the things that people have, how people have been affected by this, this very wonderful hymnal. Uh, we'll have that near the end. But in the meantime, let's just run through some of this stuff. As, we, as I started to say at the beginning, the, the hymnal itself was collected in, and, and written, most of the, the, the music was written in the 1600s, 1700s, during time of persecution, during time where people had difficult times. So they were not... Uh, Hymns of praise, although they were full of praise. They were not hymns of joy or, or, or happiness, but they were full of joy. Joy about what Christ was all about. So, in... Uh, And, and, 
and, and just as we, we go through, right after, after, after these, I want to run through some of the hymns, the verse by verse, and, and, and have us look at what they really mean, what these hymns mean to us individually, and how they make the difference, okay? During growth, uh, talking about size, physical size, do you know that the first hymnals were all pocket size? Any reason why they should be pocket size? Anybody any, has any idea? Not just, but you weren't fleeing first. They were not a, a, a very uh, noticeable. You went to sing. You went to every night. You went to sing from one place to another place. In fact, in fact, listen to this. During the early persecutions, it was noted by the prominent theologians, the first thing that Nazarenes are doing when they want to recruit someone into the ranks is to put a Zion's harp into their pocket, and then invite them every evening to someone's home for singing. That's what it meant. That's what it meant. Now today we can carry an open Bible, we can carry an open songbook, so size don't mean anything. But to them it meant a lot. Because it was something that these hymns, these hymns were so much, meant so much to these people. I marvel, I marvel today as well as I look back to those people, most of them, to whom these hymns really mean a lot, most of them know those words by heart. Not the first verse, not the second verse, but some of them, 14 verses. And I remember in 1988, we were back in, in, in Hungary for the first time after we left since 1956. And I was humbled by, by that experience. You know, I love music, I love to sing, and all those kind of things. But, but when I walked into some of those churches and saw some of these brothers that directed singing, and I particularly remember Brother Sabre up in Budapest. He announced the song. He knew what pitch it came on. He didn't have to pull his pitch pipe out. And we started to sing. I never saw a songbook in his hand. Never saw a songbook in his hand. And we went from him to him. Doesn't matter who announced. They announced it by number or by name. It didn't matter. If someone announced the hymn by a number, he named the, the, the hymn. If they announced it by name, he quoted the number. He knew what note it started on, what, what key it was, everything about it. 
You know? Then, then they switched to this Karajnekes, which is the other uh, songbook that, that the Hungarians were using, uh, this, uh, in addition to the Zainzar, and it, it continued. You know, I felt this big, this big, because what I saw was that these people loved these hymns, and they, they not only loved them, they sang them from morning till night, at home, at church, it didn't matter. It wasn't like you and I, you know, we, gotta, we want to sing one of these hymns, we've got to pull the book out. No. The, the, the mother was there washing the dishes, washing the clothes, taking care of the children, sang. Radio wasn't there. And that's what it meant to them. And those words meant that much to them. That to them... It was part of their life. And I hope and pray that, that and, and, and I know this is just a small group, I, I really hope and, and, and wish and pray that, that each of us would spend enough time and looking at this hymnal, enough to get past the first verse and the second verse maybe the last verse because that's the only ones that people seem to pick and look at those verses and what they mean to a Christian life you know we live in a very modern society and uh, uh, there are some words out there that modern society uses, global words. QP 9000 or ISO 9000. What does that mean? It's a quality standard. What does it mean? Anybody know? ISO 9000 certified. Same reference and same measures, same quality points, where? Worldwide. That's the whole idea behind this. Worldwide. So that if you get a, a, a component, uh, a manufacturer buys a component, it doesn't matter where it came from, he knows where that, uh, that what kind of criterion that went through. To me, at least to me, musically, the Zion's Harp is part of that ISO 9000. Part of something that I should be able to go everywhere and anywhere where those of like precious faith are. And even if I don't understand their words, I should feel at home once the singing starts. It's part of our corporate identity. The apostolic Christian Nazarene church in, in, in certain countries, it doesn't matter. It's part of our corporate identity. Where we go, 
That's the hymnal that binds us even when we can't speak the language. What about today? Is it... Are we having problems, and, and we know, and generally, we're having some problems because these hymnals are, and these hymns don't mean as much to us as it used to. I know that because we don't know them as well as we used to. In fact, trying to uh, hymn number 147 uh, the name of it is sweet death come down uh, when was the last time you ever heard that saying when was the last time you ever heard that song or, or sang it yourself Okay. About three years ago, uh, we had somebody picked it the other day in, in Windsor. Now we got a fairly large congregation, but I tell you, we had difficult times. We had difficult times singing it, and that's when we already had the accompaniment with it. So at least we had a little bit of crutch to go with. If we had done it to a cappella, I'm not sure if we would have made. Okay? And that's not good. Now, there's two things that we could do with it. And some have chosen to say, well, if we don't know it, take it out. But it has, is that the solution? Uh, I don't know this book, so we'll switch to another book. That's not the solution. Let's find out what's in there. 